What up, this is Dart Adams, and this is episode 60 of Dart Against Humanity. That makes it the final episode of season three. So, um, one of the things this podcast has been based on is trying to communicate ideas that I can't do through other forms of real-time social media, namely Twitter. Twitter, again, was began as a microblogging tool that implemented 140 characters per tweet. They raised it to 280 characters per tweet. A lot of people were against it. I was like, I think it's great because I felt that Twitter, as it existed with the 140 character limit, shit wasn't like writing haikus because I was trying to communicate ideas. And I felt I was very much hindered by the limited amount of characters. Now, they raised it to 280, but the same problems still exist. And Twitter, the culture of Twitter has changed immensely from the days of old Twitter. Again, I've been on Twitter going on 10, going on 11 years now. And one of the things that happens is... I would like to genuinely have dialogue with people and communicate with them. I don't like the idea of people just trolling because they're bored. I like to have real conversations with people or if it comes down to it, real debates with people. And what happens is a lot of times it's impossible. And we just hit a wall because what happens is. You have people that are focused, laser focused on one specific thing. And you're trying to communicate a much bigger idea. And never the twain shall meet. So in recent times, maybe like two days ago, (laughs) yesterday, there was a stretch of about eight hours where I had two horrible Twitter interactions back to back that went left immediately. And they couldn't be contained. It couldn't be helped. Because one person has their perspective and their side. And they immediately perceive the other person is saying, doing something that offends them or rubs them the wrong way. And it's just whatever happens after that happens. The first one happened with, oddly enough, uh, Quinta Brunson of uh, a black lady sketch show. Uh, used to do a whole bunch of online videos, a lot of content, gained her uh, popularity that way. All right. So again, what happened was early morning on Twitter, I'm doing research, other projects, writing, what have you. She posted a tweet about y'all going to have to um, accept that Hitch is the greatest romantic comedy of our generation. Now, Hitch, when it first came out, popular movie, romantic comedy, comes on cable, everybody will watch it whenever it came on, be on Netflix, everybody loved it. But, more than a decade ago, I was watching it, And I started realizing, yo, this movie is fucked up. This movie is hella problematic. 
And over time, my perspective on things changes. My perspective changed watching um, Carlito's way. I saw Carlito's way one way until I hit a certain age and got certain perspective in life. And then I watched it again. I was like, yo, Carlito did all this shit to himself. This is all Carlito's fault. People told him at different intervals, yo, you're fucking up. You're doing this wrong. You're making a mistake. He didn't listen to any of them. Because the overall thing is, yo, Carlito fucked up when he got with the woman. That's not what happened. Carlito fucked up Carlito's situation. And there were several times where he could have made another decision that prevented what happened to him from happening at the end. He brought about his own demise. He had no one to blame but himself. And it's very plain if you pay attention. Okay? Watching um, The Matrix, 20 years old. I saw Cypher one way. Cypher was a snake. Cypher did this. Cypher did this. I was like, Cypher was just completely evil. He was terrible. When I got older, after spending a time, uh, uh, a stretch of time as a uh, freelance journalist and being work for hire and realizing how dirty the industry is and how much everyone is lying through their teeth and faking it to make it. And when you finally get out there and you're in the real shit and you're seeing exactly how hard it is. I actually started to understand Cypher's perspective and how he felt being freed from the Matrix and having to deal with this mundane life and this work and just not seeing the point of it anymore and just being fed up with what he felt like were lies and him being fed a story from Morpheus. So that changed my perspective on Cypher. I kind of understood his motivations and why he would sell people out. On the surface, people just look at it like he got friend zoned by um by homegirl and he was jealous of Neo. There's a lot more shit going on that you have to realize. Also, there's a line, I hate to just talking about the fucking Matrix, but Morpheus says, uh, we don't free a mind past a certain time because they can't get past uh the idea of being removed from the matrix and having to deal with reality. That's a metaphor for life. Now, back to what I was actually talking about with Quinta, she took it as somebody trolling. I wasn't trolling. I was like, yo, this movie is actually really problematic. I'm only coming at it from the perspective of, I mean, you say it's the greatest romantic comedy of our generation. I'm like, that kind of disqualifies it. But to her and her followers, it was me attacking her and let people enjoy things. And she took it completely different than how I intended it, which Surprise the shit out of me. But she did say something like flip. And I was like, I mean, did you see the movie to the end? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, why would I talk about the movie? Forgetting that somebody of her stature has people sending ridiculous messages to her all the time. 
I get a fraction of what she probably gets. And I'm like, um, yeah, I saw the movie all the way to the end. Did you see it all the way to the end? Which can be interpreted however she interpreted and how the people who follow her interpreted it because it went left. Then she started calling me Mr. Woke. I'm like, what, what just happened? I'm like, what's going on? I'm just looking at the phone like, huh? And then she's like, uh, go out and vote. And I'm like, what gives you an impression I don't vote? I'm confused as fuck is what's happening. And then her followers are just coming at me and I'm just like, that's not what I did. You know, when people actually troll and shit like that, they don't give responses like the one I gave. So when people are coming at me, I'm just like, what's going on? And typically, I think that's kind of what diffused the situation because our interactions after that was like, that's not what I came here to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's going on? After the whole thing had gone left, it kind of died out immediately because I wasn't attacking. I wasn't engaging. Then she followed me. I don't know if she unfollowed me right afterwards, but it was really weird. And I was like, what just happened? And everybody who was watching was like, yo, I don't. That was weird. And. I was like, what did people like you shouldn't attack her? I was like, I attacked her. When I scroll back down and look at it, thank God for me being whole-brained, I was like, I can't interpret. I can't dictate whether or not she saw it as an attack or the people who were following it saw it as an attack. Because for, to them, it was. I didn't have to tweet anything at all. I could just shut the fuck up. I don't follow her. I just saw that tweeted on my timeline. And I was like, What? And I responded to it. Did I expect her to respond immediately? No. I wasn't thinking about it. But when she did, we had an exchange and the shit went left. Immediately. So, what could have been an actual exchange of ideas? That shit got sidetracked. Right after that, uh, there was a tweet that somebody put out asking about third albums. Whose third album was their best album? I put up my list. A couple people took exception to it because my the third I picked the third album from uh, Showbiz and AG, Goodfellas. Now, not only would people been like wait what because most people would prefer runaway slave and would eliminate that but here's the other thing they don't consider goodfellas as being the third album why because the very first thing showbiz and ag released was the soul clap ep and technically it's not an album So now it's a matter of technicalities and um, semantics. Their argument was, how could you make this mistake since you get on people for making mistakes like this one? My response was because I count the EP. 
When I look at a track, when I look at somebody's back catalog, and to me, this made perfect sense. When I look back at someone's back catalog, in some cases, not all, but some cases, overlooking the EP when it was important to the timeline of that person's career and their release history and their back catalog is erasing it. The very the thing that introduced us to Pete Rock and CL Smooth was the all sold out EP. However, my contention was people typically overlook all sold out and they jump straight to Mecca and the Soul Brother and then they talk about the main ingredient. Whereas with the Beat Nuts, they typically start off with Intoxicated Demons, which is an EP. Then they go to the Beat Nuts slash Street Level. Then they go to the next project. When people talk about showbiz and AG, I feel like they usually start with Runaway Slave and don't mention the Soul Clap EP. So I started with the Soul Clap EP, just like I would start with All Sold Out. And they were like, but that's not an album. I was like, but I'm not going to skip the EP if it's early in your career. It'd be, and then I explained further, and this really blew their minds. When you look at Ice Cube's solo career, his first album is America's Most Wanted, right? <clears throat> now, if you ask me what was Ice Cube's third LP, or no, if you ask me what's Ice Cube's third album, LP, EP, <clears throat> whatever. When you ask me what's Ice Cube's third album, would I respond with The Predator? Because it's an LP, I would most likely go in order and I start with America's Most Wanted and go to Kill It Will. And then I would come to Death Certificate. Then I would go The Predator. Because Kill It Will was important to his career arc. It was the project which had him step away from production by the Bomb Squad, handle shit himself. And establish himself going forward into the album Death Certificate, produced by himself, the Boogeyman, what have you. Which was also a classic without aid from the Bomb Squad. And those dudes went bananas. They went nuts because they were like, they were waiting, they wanted me to admit I was wrong. And I'm like, wrong about what? It's like, this is the kind of thing you attack people for, for getting wrong. And here you are not admitting that you're wrong. And I'm like, wrong what? I was like, I include the EP. I always have. Then I went down another list. I was talking about Digital Underground. I include, this is an EP release, if I'm talking about it, But it's not an album. I don't give a fuck. That's not something that, because if I don't mention it, if I, if I was to list um, Digital Underground's catalog and I don't include the EP, it'd be stupid. But then I'm like, then the argument was, I brought up uh, De La Soul's Clear Lake Auditorium, which when people talk about De La Soul's catalog, they don't include Clear Lake Auditorium. Reason being... Because it wasn't something that was widely available for everybody that you go to the store and buy. It was hard to find. 
It was something people would talk about. Yo, have you ever seen this? Yo, look what I found. It was some rare shit. So it's not usually included. All sold out was in stores everywhere in 1991. Did a lot of people scoop it up? Not necessarily. Everybody heard the creator. So it was an argument between me and dudes in the UK. And I was like, when people talk about Eric, um, when people talk about Pete Rock and CL Smooth's classics, they usually don't include all sold out. They usually just talk about the two LPs, which is true. And he's like, no, it isn't. So we're not getting anywhere in this conversation. And all his boys are jumping in. He only has like 300 followers, but he's been a writer forever. And he's older than me. He's 46. So they're jumping in and liking different tweets but they're not and I'm like but what about my response when I explain my thinking you're just completely glossing over that so we were getting nowhere and I was pissed off because they want me to admit I'm wrong and they're and they're just mad because I'm moving goalposts and I'm like the goalposts aren't moving What's actually happening is it's a matter of context and situational perspective. If we're comparing something and talking about something in a certain context, it takes on a different conversation entirely. So they brought up a tweet where I was talking about uh, first albums and sophomore albums. Where I mentioned that Pete Rock and CL Smooth's Mecca and the Soul Brother was their debut album. And I said that um, the main ingredient was their sophomore album. The contention was, if you include All Sold Out, then how come you, you said this was the first album, the sophomore album, saying it was the second and the third album? I then explained that what I was doing was comparing it to directly to Diggable Planets. Their first album, Reaching, A Refutation of Time and Space, and their sophomore album, Blowout Comb. In this particular instance, why would I bring up All Sold Out? They don't have, a, they don't have an extra EP or a third project. If they had three projects and they had three projects, then I would do that. And I was like, the other thing, the other group person, artist that I was comparing them to, talking about two classic, classic first two albums, LPs, was um, Special Ed. Special Ed's first album, Youngest in Charge, was a classic. His second album, Legal, was a classic. I was like, it was that. It was like, so how are you going to take one tweet and then take it completely out of the context of the conversation that was being had and try to use that as evidence to the contrary when what you're doing is you're just strengthening my conversation. It was like, oh, you're all over the place. I'm like, you're all over the place because you don't even follow me on Twitter. You don't read what I write. And you haven't known that I've had this and I've been doing this since 2006. So we're getting nowhere. This shit goes on for hours. And I'm just like, this shit is stupid. Um, nobody blocked anybody. But it was just the thing where people were just reading and then they're jumping in and calling and calling people names. And it was, it was just stupid. You know. You can't really jump in if you haven't been following a discussion. And then try to make it fit what you want it to be. Like it doesn't it doesn't work that way. But um on the other side, other than that, 
August 14th, 1989 is recognized as the release date of the Sega Genesis. Just one problem with that. It's the soft, limited release. The Sega Genesis went on sale on August 14th, 15th, 1989, because games were actually released on Tuesdays, remember. But they have it listed as Monday. So August 14th and 15th, 1989, it was released in the tri-state area, meaning New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Southern California only. If you look at Wikipedia, it lists New York and California. Not entirely accurate. And also, the Sega Genesis was actually released widely on Friday, September 15th, 1989. But everybody wants to get their content off and nobody's going to actually do enough research to realize that the day people actually could buy Genesis's everywhere was in September when the school year started. As opposed to the soft release, because the soft release for the um the soft release for the uh, Turbo Graphics 16 in certain markets was August 29th, 1989, which I believe was a Tuesday, and it was like only sold like in New York and like a few other cities. I think it went in a wide release, uh, September. 28th or somewhere around there it was also I think it was also a Friday so that's when the fourth generation of console wars really kicked off the beginning of the 1989-90 school year alright so when I come back on the other end I'm going to discuss something different going towards like my 44th birthday is coming up tomorrow so gonna throw the ad in here come back on the other end and we're back again this is episode 60 of dart against humanity the final episode of season three uh the ad is the Maisie work thinking big with Maisie williams i believe now i am 24 hours removed from being 44 years old. I didn't know for years why every year around my birthday I would suddenly start playing um, Dragon Warrior. Now, I'm not talking about going, getting a Nintendo console, plugging it up, getting the cartridge, blowing in it, putting it in all the way to the edge, and then dropping it down low so you don't see the yellow, black, yellow, black, yellow, black flash and the game actually plays. Or doing a dance after I take it out, the cartridge, dancing around the cartridge and then blowing on it and then putting it in so it plays. I'm talking emulators. Now, I got my first uh, laptop, my own, <clears throat> back in, I think, January 1997, right after, uh, not too long after I came back from Morgan State. 
I bought my own laptop. I got a I got a PowerBook 170 grayscale. Had a modem. I could plug it in. I could go on the internet. The modem I believe was a um 114.4. It was trash. So I used to like go online mostly with my um PowerPC Mac. But later on you get the power pc um mac laptop and around that time this is when emulation started popping up so by the time people had g3s and g4 max laptops cats had um i believe it was uh rock nes and nestopia already on their laptops and they were playing nintendo games so this is like early 2000s. So every year around like after me turning like 25, I would load up Dragon Warrior and I would, you know, play it, play it until I sometimes I have to bring up maps and I would just play it until I beat it. And then after I beat it, I ain't touch it again. And then for some odd reason, the next year I would do it again and again and again. I didn't understand why for the longest until... About a decade ago, I started doing a lot of research because I realized that nobody knew anything <laughs> about when video games dropped. They had the idea of the month. Uh, I couldn't find any uh, sources for when arcade games came out. I couldn't figure out how much money uh, dra- uh, Street Fighter made because I couldn't find any um, coin up. Or arcade uh, publications, even the ones that like the companies, uh, arcades use, the trade publications. I, was, I couldn't find a trace of any of them, couldn't find PDFs, nothing. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? But I did find out there was a, a list of Nintendo games that came out by year and the month. And then it hit me. Dragon Warrior was released August 1989. And I'm like, wait a minute. I think Dragon Warrior was one of my um, uh, birthday gifts I got when I turned 14. And also the thing is that I remember uh, my brother buying another game, Faxanadu. But we kept it. It was on his dresser for like a week. And me and my brother didn't like, my younger brother Jeff didn't like mess with it. And finally he comes home. He's like, y'all didn't. This is, I got this for y'all. Y'all even asked me about what it was or try to open it, nothing? Shit, here. And he just throws it to us. Then we had a new game. And I'm like, it was before the school year started up. So holy shit, that makes sense. So subconsciously, I I play Dragon Warrior all the time because I started playing Dragon Warrior right around the time it was my birthday. After my birthday. So subconsciously, I was doing this and I didn't realize it. The reason I bring this up is because Dragon Warrior likely had its 30th anniversary on August 15th, 1989. Likely. Um, Could have came out the 8th. I'm thinking it's the 15th. Uh, But I know that I have special 
ways that I do things. And when I play Dragon Warrior, like there's this thing people who play role playing games called grinding. Grinding is boring to the average person. I loved doing it. And I'm one of those people that if you got to fight, if you got to be on the 12th level to fight the dragon, I'm fighting the dragon on level 16 to 17. Okay. If you're supposed to have this weapon here, I want to have it sooner. So that 560 gold I need for that fucking hand axe, I'm going to have that hand axe. I'm going to grind till I get that hand axe, till I'm on a high level, till I can kill everything around here. I'm going to go to the town that I shouldn't be at and try to make it work in the town I ain't supposed to be at and then go to the end and rest and come out, go to the end and rest, get mad herbs, go to the end and rest until I'm strong enough where I could beat the shit out of everybody around me in that space, get all the weapons I'm supposed to have, then go to the cave, fuck up everything in the cave. And then I'm going to go to the next town where I'm not supposed to be at and do the same thing over again. This is how I kind of do things in life, too. I don't do anything linearly. I do everything the hard way. And I always jump into a situation that people are like, yo, um, can you you going to do this? You're going to go do this. You're going to fuck with this, this person. You're going to go at this person now. And then I'm in a space where it's like, oh, shit, you don't fuck with dark. You don't do that. I've built myself up to that space. And now it's like, all right, I got to go do something else. Because I done fucked all this shit up. I got all the weapons. My level's high as hell. I need to find another adventure or do something. Because I will spend the time doing everything necessary in that space. Now, I'm about to turn 44, but five years ago, I was with uh, Killer Boombox and the Smarter in the City startup space right there in um, Dudley Square. It was an incubator. So it was like a tech startup incubator. We're a media company. Now, the thing about being in tech startup world is that they pretty much don't give you any money unless they see that you're going to generate money. Media was not generating money. Even the places, the, the media companies, the people were, um, they were getting uh, investors they weren't getting a return on their investment. They weren't making money. Mike didn't make any fucking money. Every other media company was fucking hemorrhaging money. So when we say we're a media company catering to a minority audience in Boston, people are like, ain't no money in that shit. And I'm like, I'm just in the room disgusted at everybody just, as soon as we say that, they just turn their brains off. I didn't realize that Brandon and Greg, who behind Killer Boombox and also Brandon runs Show Off Marketing, knew that going in. And basically what he did was all the connections, all the rooms we entered, all those spaces, all those events, all those gatherings, all those meetings. Brandon used all of those connections and all those face-to-face 
interactions and he fostered relationships and Greg fostered relationships and then later on they did business together and partnerships he invited them to their events they came out they talked they met the people that they knew the creatives and the entrepreneurs they knew and and the people who could add value to what they do and they were seen everywhere so 5 years later these guys are in a position to do a gang of things that they wouldn't if they didn't use their opportunities to their advantage when they were able to get into the door. Me seeing that made me realize all the ways I was fucking up. And the beauty of it is that I'm Dart Adams where I'm this like legendary figure that everybody thinks has it all together. But I would go to that office and Greg and Brandon and other guys and other women would just sit me down and tell me, yo, you are wasting your potential. You are fucking up. You are doing X, Y, and Z. You, are in, you could be doing so much more. You're letting this go. You're wasting too much time here. You're wasting your energy here. You need to move on with this. Now, let me also tell you what was happening with me in August 2004. August 2004, I was super visible. I had been to... um. Total slaughter in New York, came back, did a whole bunch of stuff. Um, then I, Static Selector had an event in um, the Vivo offices. I went to New York, to Manhattan for that. It was right by Times Square. I was seen by a whole bunch of people. The next day after that happened, two articles I wrote came out that changed the game for me. I wrote an article. I'm pretty sure y'all don't even remember this shit. I did an article, uh, Jamila Lemieux tapped me to do an article <laughs> for Ebony. I wrote that, it went up August 6, 2014. It blew up. Uh, and then the same day, I did an article for Killer Boombox talking about um, the issues with modern R&B and its progressions and uh, its erasure and how it's been miscategorized across racial lines and how they completely overlook anybody who makes R&B from overseas like the UK or anywhere else. And what happened is <laughs> that article I wrote for Killer Boombox, since it was on Killer Boombox and not a major outlet, people pretty much read that article and they created spinoffs like it was a fucking Kenya Barris TV show. I saw from that article, which I wrote, which could have been blackish. I saw grownish. I saw mixedish. Better call Saul. The fucking Jeffersons. Any spinoff you could imagine. It was there. Three's a crowd. Because not all the spinoffs were good. Some of them were absolute trash. What's happening now? I saw my article repackaged with a different byline and different pictures with quotes to throw people off the scent for a year afterwards. A year. 
And I couldn't do shit about it. But sit up and think that somebody pitched an article to a major to a major outlet using my article as the guideline and the skeleton and then moved a couple things here and there used my idea threw in something that didn't make sense but threw people off the scent that they cribbed it from somebody else and then got a check from that company And after me being mad and bitter about it, I realized I'm the fucking expert. The person I should be mad at is me because I didn't use that article and I didn't go out and try to do an expansion on it with those other people. But it took time for me to get there. First, I was just mad and pissed off that people were fucking with me and taking what I did when I was the source and then not acting like the source and flipping it. Like when Neo realized he was the one. And that's something that I learned from being in that office with those dudes. And all the women in that office who were doing things. And had companies that were actually getting traction and getting sponsorship. And I'm just looking around that office and I'm just realizing, yo, I've been doing this all wrong. I've been going at everything all wrong. Also, you have to realize that even when things are going well for you, you can struggle. And one of the issues that I've always had with being somebody visible and uh, things of real time social media and IG is that people see this image. And they don't realize that a lot of shit that you do up there is curated or whatever. You're not going to post. Some people do all the fucking down shit. Even when you go on your little Twitter rants. It's not focused enough where you see the full picture of something. That may be on purpose because you're trying to hide it. Or it's not intentional because you're just you're not going to fucking tweet everything you're doing and every emotion you're having that's stupid that's weird but the thing about dragon warrior especially right is that there's a limit you can't go past level 30 in dragon warrior okay you can't get more than 65,535 uh, gold or experience in Dragon Warrior. Why? Because it's a, it's a thing about computing, right? So it's uh, 65,535. Uh, it's like the peak number in video games. It's the highest number that can be represented by an unsigned 16-bit binary number. Usually when you hit that number, the number after it really, uh, just turns over to zero. It's math. Right? So when you play Dragon Warrior, you're playing, when you get to level 30 and you go to the castle, the king's like, um, you're not strong enough to beat the, the Dragon Lord? Nigga, you better go, go beat that Dragon Lord. You're not going to get any more gold. You're not going to get any more experience. You're not going to get any stronger. You can't get any better weapons. You can't hit anyone any harder. You're as invulnerable as you're going to be for the rest of the game. Might as well beat it. 
There's nothing else to do. Life is not like that. So the name of this podcast is going to be Level 44. Because as I grow and I evolve and I, more things happen for me, what happens is there's always a new challenge. There's always something else that I could do better. There's always something that I think I mastered that absolutely no, because I encounter somebody else's like, actually, and you have to be open to the reality of the possibility that you don't know everything. And if you're not one of those people, then you can't. Why are you on earth? The beauty of life is knowing that there's somebody else out there, a whole bunch of people out there that know shit you don't, are better at you at what you do. And you can sit down, shut the fuck up and listen to somebody else for a change. And that the better part is that people see enough in you to be like, yo, let me hip you to something. Let me tell you. Let me tell you some game. Let me tell you where you're fucking up or where you can improve. People don't do that. Unless they think you're worthy of it. So if you ever think to yourself, yo, somebody is like trying to criticize me. Think of it more as I care enough. Or I see enough in you. That I want to see you win and succeed because I think you deserve to be in a higher place or a better place. And people need to see what you're doing and appreciate what you're bringing to the table. When people see somebody fucking up that doesn't really deserve what they have because they're mediocre what they do, they let them keep failing. And then they laugh about them behind their back. I've seen it happen. Many a time. Been in many a room and like, you see this motherfucker over here? This mediocre dude that they promoted to this job, but this woman who was friends with somebody and in this space and she does not have the capacity to be doing this job and how she's floundering and how they move around, move around and they spin it like, yo, uh, it's time for me to take this new opportunity and advance when the thing is that they got let go because they were mediocre what they did. And they're just going to bounce around because of their connections. It's not an upward, upward move. They're lateral and they're just moving around with their friends and their cronies and the people that owe them shit because they're in similar situations where I'm keeping a secret for you. You're keeping a secret for me. We fucking both buried the body and we got blood on our hands, not because of their talent or their ability or what they bring to the table. And some of y'all like, oh, shit, that sounds like a lot of people I know. I know because I'm talking about them. But again, five years ago, I was in a situation where I was super visible. I was everywhere. I got this byline here. I'm doing this here. People are fucking with me over here. They're telling me that they love this article. They're following me. More people are following me on Twitter. They're watching me and everybody in Killer Boombox uh, going to the biggest um, startup incubator in the nation, which is located in Boston. But the fact of the matter is, I got somebody who's a friend over at Comcast helping me to uh, extend my bill because I can't afford to pay the shit. Because again, I'm work for hire. I might get this placement. I might get this thing. I got to wait for the money to come in. 
I'm out here being Ubered everywhere. But the thing is that the people who I work with are paying for the Uber. I don't got, I don't got, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have Uber on my phone. I ain't, I ain't got that. I don't be, I, I can't be affording. I walk everywhere. There's a reason. One of the big reasons why I lost 40, 45 pounds is because I walk everywhere. I'm fast as fuck walking everywhere, but I still walk everywhere. I want it to be as transparent as possible. It's like, yo, this shit is hard. It's a grind. Uh, everybody wants you to congratulate them when they got an article posted somewhere. Congratulate me when the check comes. Congratulate me when I get paid. Because the world of net 60 and net 90 lends to you being broken on your ass by the time the check comes and you've already defaulted on that shit. The reality of the matter is my brothers and sister, my brothers and sister had to bail me out of a cable bill and cable includes Internet that had gotten so so out of control. And at the time, my mom was sick as shit with me in the apartment and her only means of entertainment because she couldn't move really like that was through TV. So it's like, you can't have that shit go off. Fast forward, December 2015. My Comcast gets cut the fuck off. That means I don't have internet in the house. That means I don't have cable in the apartment. So I start hustling. By that time, my mom's so sick that, that she ends up in the hospital anyway. So I believe that was the last holiday that we actually had with her. The last Thanksgiving and Christmas that we had with her. Like actually being in the home like regularly like that. But I had to go hustle. I had to go do work at other people's apartments and and other people's spaces and all this other shit. And at the time, you got to remember, I'm running a fucking record label like that. I had a record label. I was A&Ring. I was consulting. I was everywhere. Yo, you, yo, you just running around. You doing it. You getting it done. Yeah, I am. Out of necessity. Because I didn't handle my fucking shit right. But it looks like I'm getting everything done. And I'm, I'm moving shit, right? Damn, you got to deal with fat beats. That's crazy. I flipped it and I negotiated it where it came in, right? Yeah. But I put out too much fucking product too fast. Because I was trying to get out of a hole. Then Fat Beast hits you up and is like, yo, um, so you wanna take you wanna take some of this uh merc, some of this shit off off our hands? Cause we don't have the warehouse space to hold all your shit when house shoes and all your boys are actually moving their shit. Uh, word. Send me like, I don't know, 25 tapes each. Um, we're thinking more like, and they send me a sheet. We'll keep five to ten of these joints. And you can take the rest. I got box after box from Fat Beats. On the table in front of me, I have cassette tapes. But digitally, doing well. Physically, 
rappers, producers I know. And people are like, yo, so when are you going to put out another project on producers I know? Uh, when I get super rich. Because again, I did this because I wanted to get put money in these people's pockets. Significant money in their pockets. That didn't happen. So every mistake, every error I made, everything that fell through that I thought was going to come through and didn't and ultimately save me ended up becoming another opportunity because of how I handled it and how I learned from it. And now I'm in a place where I'm doing well and all the shit that happened before me where I thought the world was going to end actually informed me it made me way better of a person. I'm going into my room. This piece of paper reads Comcast Field Collection Receipt, date December 13, 2015. I'm holding it. $25 field collection fee. I'm holding this. I keep this on the desk with all my books and everything I've arranged for future projects and up here is the worst thing I've ever written which is three different people's corrections and crossing shit out and telling me where I fucked up at that's what motivates me when something good happens and I get a new position or I get a new um, opportunity I think to myself, now this is when the work starts. I don't really celebrate about it because I know now I have to start working because I have to prove that I earned this. That's how I look at everything. Also, it's a Boston mentality because a lot of people that got the shot went out there and partied and celebrated and thought they were big shit and ended up right back in the city. How we knew it. There's a documentary called Overnight about the dude who made, um, damn, what was the movie? Uh, Boondock Saints. He went and fucked it all up. Amazing documentary. That is a Boston story. I don't want to be that person. So I'm on level 44 right now. And it don't stop. And I can get way more than 65,535 in any category. It's unlimited. It's untapped. And I cannot be somebody who holds myself back from what I can actually earn or do. So you're going to be hearing my name pop up. Over the next however months. And please don't be surprised. Because I worked for this shit. So. This is the end. Of Doubt Against Humanity Season 3. It will return November 1st. 2019. Under a set of different circumstances.
Thank you. One.